God bless us. We'll still be friends when I get done today. I can't imagine him running late on the airplanes. What's wrong with the uh, air travel? I thought you got on a plane and they had it all marked out. The pilot came on and said, we're ahead of schedule. We'll be landing soon. What's happened? Aren't you glad that God's in control of everything? And God's word will stand. And man, I was torn between two series. You say series. Well, I'm going to preach one sermon today. This will be the first half. The other one will be this afternoon. So I'll see how it goes if you come back. But anyway, um, and I, one of them was about the zeal of the Lord. And it's been on my heart again afresh and so forth. But God has such zeal to make himself known to us. It starts with creation. But the Word of God is outstanding. And there's three concepts I want to put in front of you, three points. And then we're going to look at that. And this is an area of the gospel. It's the area of the life of Christ that I found in my life I didn't understand it like I should have. And I've stressed for many years now this particular truth. And you'll recognize it immediately. But this particular area of truth needs to be better understood by us. And we're here today. Because of it. And you say, well, okay. You'll see what I'm saying in a minute as a church especially. All right. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise, verse 1, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. He just didn't, he didn't just teach. And he didn't just do. He did both. Amen. Until the day in which he was taken up. Notice that word taken. Just didn't go up. Taken up. That's important. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Way back there in Luke chapter 6. You see the church getting started back there officially in a fundamental sense. To whom also, look at this verse, to whom also Christ, this is Christ, showed himself alive by many infallible. That means it cannot be proved otherwise. Foolproof. Infallible. If you have the translation I have, that's what it says. If you don't, it'll say convincing. A magician can be convincing. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ. We don't need it convincing. We need it infallible. Amen. You'll see more so why in a few moments. And that, not trying to slam anybody. I'm just telling you. That Greek word there, tekmerion, look it up. It means infallible, cannot be proven otherwise. Why would we want to water down the resurrection concept? Infallible proofs, plural. And we could be here for a while to give you all the proofs of resurrection. By the way, you're one of them. And this church is one of them. Our seminary is one of them. The sunrise is one of them. But anyway, let's go on. After his passion, after his death, and by the way, it wasn't mechanical, that's describing his death. But boy, what passion, what passion of God was in that. After his passion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them. Now, there's some of the best proof of the resurrection. For 40 days after the resurrection, Christ came back and taught the apostles. Remember, he said, I have many other things to teach you, but you can't bear them right now. But after the resurrection, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he will brave things to your mind. That's why you have a New Testament, by the way. Set of scriptures too. 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Father, again, thank you for all your zeal. You're a passionate God. Your power under control. And the word is such a gift. I am more amazed at the Bible than I've ever been. And I have 
and no pat on my back, how in the world could it be otherwise? I have passionately studied it for over 45 years now, and I'm, I'm more excited about it today than I've ever been. We pray that you'll bless this time together, bless the pastor, give him safety and travel, let him continue to be a witness. I know him, he's witnessed here and there on the way, there on the way back. Thank you for him allowing the privilege to go over there and experience that, that, that field in Scotland. What history. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the Bible, the way God set it up, there's many concepts in the Bible, ideas, perspectives. God, God gives us a truth, and then God characterizes that truth. We, we saw that in Sunday school today, the cross-referencing, laying this thing out, being in a psalm, and going all directions. Here's the concept. God characterizes that concept. It, it gives it animation. It gives it life. It, it gives the concept vitality. And then... There is the actual concrete expression of that concept. So we have an idea, okay? And of course, if it's God's idea, it's, it's fact. It's going to happen. We have an idea, all right? And then God illustrates. He shows you that. And then here comes the absolute reality of that concept in concrete. So in the Old Testament scriptures, God told us many things that's going to come and happen, come about. Primarily, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, Christ made Old Testament appearances to God the Son. But all through the Old Testament, God says, this is what Messiah is going to be like. By the way, he's going to be Messiah. That's a concept. All these kind of things. He pre previewed with persons and events and places. We want to look at a wonderful, of several we could look at, and I think we'll look at another one this afternoon as the Lord leads. But my favorite characterization of what we're going to talk about in a few moments and was touched on here. And before we actually look at that, Let's go to just the, the way that God brought this about. And you're going to see that when I get to this final thing, I'm just going to do it quickly. Because again, I like what the Sunday school teacher said. The rudeness of the clock. The, the clock is so impolite. My wife has told me sometimes, honey, it's a little long. <laughs> Other people told me it's a little long. But uh, that clock always tells you something. But anyway... Okay, but that's, that's just the way it is. In heaven, time shall be no more. Amen. Amen. What a person the person of Jesus Christ was. The God-man. God. God. I mean, to grab that, you've got to say, okay, creator God. Created everything. Creator God. By the way, he didn't walk away from it after he created it. He is the curator, the caretaker of this creation. Everything. He's holding it together by the word of his mouth. And by the way, all three persons were involved in creation. It makes it very clear. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. But Christ was out in the forefront. Colossians 1, etc. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoken to the fathers by the prophets, hath in his last days spoken to us by his Son. It goes on to say, by whom he created the worlds. In fact, the Bible tells, that, tells us that Christ, by his words, holding it together. Well, how did creation come about? Didn't God speak this into existence? Yeah, read Genesis 1. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. God said, let there be light. There was light. Oh, it's just amazing. That's one of the reasons Jesus did the miracles the way he did. 
by speaking the miracles, he was telling you, I'm the creator God of Genesis 1. I will be thou healed. Take up thy bed and walk. He rebuked the winds and the waves immediately. He's telling you, I'm the God of Genesis 1. Amen. He was God, fully God. In the flesh. The God man. What a person. What a person. By the way, what's really hurting our world right now is we've lost sight of the significance of humanity. Ethel Waters said, boy, she was a great one, wasn't she? God did not make any junk, no junk. They talk about junk DNA. They find out there's no junk DNA anymore. The more sophisticated they get, they're realizing that this body's pretty amazing. The God-man. There are at least 25 points I can give you out of Genesis 1 that shows you how significant man was to God. You know the first three days all there was was the earth? We kind of get this idea God just spoke and all these plants flew out there and stars and everything. No, no. All there was for three days was the earth. And when he made the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, and then the fourth day, God said, he made the greater light to rule the day and the less light to rule the night. He's talking about the sun and the moon in relation to the earth. Yeah. They were made for the earth. Yeah. There wasn't a sun out there and it captured us. And No, God set all this up. The earth was created to be inhabited. Yeah. After he got everything in place, started with inanimate, and then went to the living. We got all done, created the animals and everything in mass. Stars, I mean, there's a few stars out there. Right. Poof. He made man last. Right. And he didn't call him into existence. He formed him. Very possibly Christ in an Old Testament appearance. Who's walking in the garden after they sinned? Who wrestles with Jacob all night? On and on. Who came and visited Abraham? Christ formed, somehow, someway formed him out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I mean, you, I'm, there's 25 things there at least. I could probably come up 26. I had a few minutes. 27. But here's the greatest thing. God became one of us forever. He took not on him the nature of angels, Hebrews 2, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Why Abraham? Because he raised up Israel to give us the law, the scriptures, and the Savior, etc. The Jews, amen? God entered the human race forever. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And he is now also the Son of Man. If that doesn't give humanity value, what possibly could? It's greater than being created in his image. He's one of us. By the way, you can refute evolution so quickly. If the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, that must tell us we're not an animal. See, we're creating the image of God. And that means a lot. Morally aware creatures, whatever. So I, I could stay here for a long time, but Christ is the God man, and he proved that on this earth. What a life he lived. What a life. The Ten Commandments tell us that this is ten examples of what sin is. You look at the Ten Commandments, and the Bible tells us basically sin is just selfishness. It's when I love myself more than others. Stealing is not wrong because God said so. Stealing's wrong because I love myself more than the person I'm stealing from. 
If you've ever had anything stolen from you, it, it, it irritates you because you like the object per se, typically. I've had a few cars, I was glad. But anyway, no. Uh, <laughs> but you also feel violated. Those Ten Commandments are is God's own nature. God is God's boss. Amen. He's creator. He he has he's if you invent it, you own it. Right? Who invented man? God. He has the patent. Okay? Who has the trademark? God made us in his image. That's the trademark. Who wrote your DNA? It's a language. It's a DNA. God wrote your DNA. He has the copyright. Amen. He owns us. We're breathing his air. Who invented air? Who invented water? Oh, by the way, he did it all for you and I. You know when the angels, the 30 angels failed, he didn't provide salvation for them. But he did for us. God's got plans for you. Man was not made for the present. The present was never intended to satisfy man. Man was made for eternity. And eternity with God. And God doesn't see the masses. He sees us individually. God is trees walking. But he sees every man clearly. Amen. Remember how much time he had for the woman at the well? Amen. We are not valuable because of what we do or do not do. We're valuable because of what God's invested in humanity. Jesus, the 10th commandment says, thou shalt not covet. Christ, that's thoughts, that's desires. Christ never sinned in thought or deed. He never wanted to sin. He said, what was that temptation of wilderness? To show us he couldn't sin. God can't sin. And Jesus did not inherit a sin nature. You got that from your father. But like I've told you several times, you didn't get it from your mother. Your mother wouldn't do that to you. Eve got it, but she got it from Adam. When he ate, her eyes were open. Read Timothy carefully. Okay? If God had not made Eve out of Adam, we'd be in trouble because God has no feminine side to him. And we needed, we needed when Eve was taken out of Adam, that meant that Adam could represent her so Christ could come and be the second Adam. Amen? So here we got the God-man, co-creator God, co-curator God, co-consummator God. You know when Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, God didn't create that and go, wow, okay. What are we going to do now? He had the beginning and the end already in view. Amen? With the Bible, we can step into the middle of the program that God's putting on, and we don't have to ask questions in the middle of the show. What's who, who's she? What's, that, what's that, this? Oh, what's that about? Who, why they drive that car? No, we can just look back and see the beginning, and we can see what's coming. Bible prophecy is history written beforehand. What a book. And by the way, this much your book is mine, amen? amen? What zeal God has. Not just give us a book, but you're going to see how much, how much he, I'd say effort, because with God, there's real no effort. Nothing's hard for God, per se. Okay? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus Christ never sinned in thought or deed. Just think about this, but I can't hit them all because of time. But remember, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. His wife had a dream. She said, I had this dream, and she said, this dream is such a dream, I'm telling you, you have nothing to do with that just man. Judas said, I betrayed innocent blood. Jesus turned to his enemies and said, which of you convinced me of sin? Jesus said, the devil hath nothing in me. The centurion smote his chest and said, surely this was a righteous man. The thief on the cross said, we're getting, we're getting what we deserve, but this man's done nothing amiss. On and on and on. Peter says it, Paul says it, this man was without sin. He became sin for us representatively. Okay? Adam represented us in the garden. And I'm not real happy 
about it, I came to realize that what he was eating was a Jonathan apple. <laughs> My name's Jonathan. People say, how do you know it's an apple? Well, I know it was a Jonathan apple because I'm a sinner. And he represented me. I wouldn't tell you that if the second and last Adam did not represent me. You see, if Adam represented me in the garden, then Christ can come and represent me in the garden, so to speak, of this life. Adam actually sinned. Christ actually never sinned. By one man's disobedience, Romans 5.19, many became sinners. Why did God do that? Why did God have Adam represent us? So... By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The reason I call it Jonathan Apple, if your name's Red, anybody got a name Red? Then it was a Red Delicious Apple. I don't want to say wine sap or any other name of apples, but anyway. (laughs) He he represented me. God set up so one man get a sin's message. It would only take one to get us out. Amen. Amen. He never sinned in thought or what a life he lived. What a death he died. The Bible just doesn't say he died for our sins. You see, drowning would not have worked. Even fire wouldn't have worked. He had to shed his blood in a sacrificial death on the cross. If you don't remember anything else I say today, try to remember this. And Not because I've said it, the Bible's so clear on this, but people get lose sight of this. God says in Leviticus 17, verse 11, He gave us the blood that we could have atonement. Your blood is the most important. They called it an organ one time, then now they're telling it's actually a tissue. But with your brain's important. How many think your brain's pretty important? How many think your liver and kidney are important? Your lungs. <laughs> your lungs. Yeah, I lose my brain sometimes. I, I, but it's pretty important. Every organ in your body needs that blood. Blood carries oxygen to parts of your body. All of it carries nutrition, carries the waste up, keeps your body warm. That's where you fight off disease in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And when Christ was on that cross taking our place, by the way, whatever Christ was doing on the cross, whatever he was suffering, that's what we need to be saved from. What was he suffering? The wrath of God for our sins. As that blood flowed out of him, as the songwriter said, even as his lifeblood hymns flowed fast away he shed his blood without the blood there's no remission amen his death of shedding his blood see we sinned in the body peter says our sins have to be paid for in the body he suffered physically because sin causes physical suffering he suffered emotionally because sin causes emotional suffering everybody in this room's hurting right now because of the emotional effects of sin in our life what we've done to others what others have done to us relationally Christ says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that time, he became sin for us, relationally. Temporarily, the fellowship was broken. Not the Godhead, the fellowship. He became sin for us at high noon. He's suffering physically, relationally, and emotionally, because that's what sin does. He took our place. He was the sin sacrifice. Amen. Amen. On the cross, he took the wrath of God. Yes, it was a great show of his love towards us. Yes. No greater show of love could ever be shown than what Christ did on the cross. Yes, it was a great show of how ugly sin is that the creature would kill their creator. But if that's all it is, we're not saved. 
Sin had to be paid for. And there's only one person qualified, and that's the God-man. The God we sinned against. Also, one of us paid it all. See, how do you know? He didn't stay dead, did he? The burial's pretty important. Boy, I could preach on that because that's overlooked. The burial's extremely important. You cannot believe the passage to talk about the burial of Christ. You know the burial of Christ? Let me just put this. Let me tell you how important it is. The burial of Christ proved, after three days and three nights, it proved he was dead. If he would have died on the cross and a few, 30 minutes later, two or three hours later when Joseph of Arimathea and who was the other guy? Nicodemus. The Bible says Joseph of Arimathea craved the body of Jesus. Both of them turned from just mere religion to Christ. As he was preparing that body, if Jesus would have come back to life, that would have been a little scary. But I mean, you know, no, they could have said, well, he didn't really die. Right, right. Three days and three nights wrapped up, shock. You couldn't breathe wrapped up like that. Right, right. It proved he had actually died. Huh. And if you prove he's actually died, one of the many infallible proofs, yes. then it proved he actually resurrected. That's right. See how important it is? Now, Jesus talked about you put a kernel, a seed in the ground. It has to die first, et cetera, and comes. Look at all the fruit comes out of that one seed. Think of a cornfield. That's, yeah, Jesus had to die, had to be buried. That's a, Jonah and the whale pictured that, everything. It's amazing. Noah's Ark pictures it. It's just amazing. It's all through the Bible. Concept, pictures, characterizations, in concrete, all those Old Testament pictures that Christ would die, amen, was buried. Then what did he do? Look at Acts chapter 2 for just a second. We're going to get to the main point here. we got 30 seconds. No, yeah. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 24. Peter's preaching. Boy, there's a different Peter here. 53 days before this, he was cussing. He was, he was shook. They knew he had to die and be buried, resurrect. They just didn't know it was going to happen in such a horrific fashion. The Bible says that Christ died on the cross. It says the death of the cross. There was no cross, Philippians chapter 2. There was no death like the death of Christ on the cross. Amen. It was a horrible way to die. But the Christ cross was like nobody else's. Because he had not sinned. He's paying for our sins. Amen. We're all sinners. Look at this. After he paid for our sins, look what it says. Look at verse 24. Peter's preaching. Whom God hath raised up. Now, the Bible says in some places God the Father raised him from the dead. In other places it says the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Other passages, Jesus said, I'll raise myself from the dead. Which one of those is true? Yes. You're seeing how the triune God works. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. They don't get together and go, how are you going to do this? I don't know. How do you want to do it? I don't know. How do you want to do it? They're all knowing. Complete harmony, like three notes on a piano. Beautiful. In complete harmony. God's plan. Christ was a lamb slain from and before the foundation was always God's plan. God made the lamb. He knew he was going to use the lamb for his illustration. to make the lamb and go, hmm, that'd be a good illustration. No. He made the lamb to be an illustration. The sheep, Amen. Look at this. This is so great. Whom God hath raised from the dead, having loosed the pains of death. John Owens, a great preacher of yesteryear called the death of Christ. 
the death of death. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Amen? The strength of sin is the law. Who gives us the victory? 1 Corinthians 15? I think 1 Corinthians 15 is the greatest chapter of the Bible. They're all pretty good, but I think it just covers everything. The victories in Christ, he conquered death. Amen? We celebrate that, not just once a year, we celebrate that every Sunday. You know why we, we, we know why we gather on Sundays? Because we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. The early church did that. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible. It was not possible, talk about the grave, he should be what? Holden, held back. Once he paid for our sins and verified he was dead, there's not a power in this universe that could have kept him in the grave. Amen. Because once he paid for it, paid in full, what did Christ say from the cross? Tell it to test I, paid in full. After it was established, he had to rise from the dead because he had no sins of his own. It proved he paid for all of our sins. I got a lot of stories. I just always tell this one because it just seems the best. I'm going to shorten it. I was out with a pastor friend, Brother Weatherby, years ago. We were in a restaurant. I said, let me pay for this. I had a credit card in my pocket, and I gave it to the clerk, the waitress, and she took it and came back and said, Mr. Stewart, I'm sorry, this, it's been rejected. I went, rejected? Could you not say it so loud? I mean, tell, tell me. Everybody in the restaurant. No, I said, can you try it again? I knew there's no way that could be rejected. She came back and said, it still won't work. She gave me a slip of paper with a number on it. Now, this is before cell phones. So I told Brother Wave, I said, that's crazy. I don't know what that is. He said, oh, don't worry about it, Brother I know what he's thinking. Wow. Well. But anyway, I got home, called. You know what happened? I had the credit card for six months. I never called and activated it. I had it. It was in my wallet. I just had never used it. My wife said, don't touch it. No, but anyway, I said, I had never used it. I called, and they activated it. You know what happened when Christ rose from the dead? It activated his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now I go to chapter 3, and I want to show you what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, okay? Look at Acts chapter 3. What happened after the resurrection? Well, 40 days of teaching, the ascension. The ascension. Without it, we would not have the New Testament Scriptures. Without it, we wouldn't have preachers. Ephesians chapter 4, etc. Remember Jesus, unless I go away... The Spirit won't come. He's, he's, the Holy Spirit's omnipresent. Okay? He means the New Testament greater economy. The Holy Spirit has a wonderful ministry in the Old Testament. But he has a greater ministry in the New Testament because now he operates on the merits of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man. See, God is not just putting on a show. He says, let's put on a little drama here. No, 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 no. If man is who God made man to be, and God is who God is, there was no other way but a God-man. Only God could take all of God's wrath. Only God could represent God's interest in this. But it was man that we're redeeming. So the Savior has to be a God-man. The God we sinned against came down here as us and still God and fixed it. Amen. What a great concept. Amen. God characterizes it all through the Testament. It's such a great concept. It took a tabernacle with all of its parts and pieces to illustrate it. It took a temple with all of its parts and pieces to illustrate it. It took 33 and a half years of Christ walking around doing what he did to make the concrete expression. You see, when I get saved, I get his perfect law-keeping life. Jesus said, I came out to destroy the law but to fulfill. 
I get his perfect law-keeping life credited to my account. I give him my sins. He gives me his righteousness. Amen? All through the book of Romans. Wow. All right. Look at Acts chapter 3. Look at verse 20. Now, you, you, you agree with me this morning that if Christ was God in the flesh and he never sinned in thought or deed, and Matthew 4 and Luke 4 is just showing us he can't sin. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. By the way, the Holy Spirit initiated that. It wasn't Satan. The Holy Spirit set that up. Jesus basically went like this with the devil. He flew off, okay? Look at this, look at this death. They took him down. They laid him in that tomb. And listen, he was beat up. Isaiah 52 tells us he was so marred you couldn't even tell he was a, a human. He was beat to the shred. Far beyond what most people go through. I can tell you so many stories in witnessing and explaining it to people. I had a cousin one time's wife. She'd always sit there and listen. And one day out of nowhere, where you knew we were getting close to salvation, it took us 20 years to see them saved. They finally, she, he finally got saved. We're still praying for her. She said, why was Christ so brutalized? What was, why, why all the violence? Why all this horrific? I looked at her. She hadn't said anything many times about these things. I said, well, I share what I told you. Emotionally, relationally, physically, what sin does, whatever. Look at that burial. Look at that resurrection. You notice I told you he was taken up. He was taken up. Well, as God, he belonged there. Amen. But we needed a man up there. Amen. If the first Adam got us in this mess, we need the second Adam to get us out of it. A member of our race. He's got our gene pool. Go back to Luke. He goes all the way back to Adam. But see, through the virgin birth, he didn't inherit a sin nature. Mm-hmm. Wherefore, it's by one man sinned the world, not by a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. So death passed upon all men. Amen? God's pretty smart. How do you think God's pretty smart? <laughs> Look at this. Brother, sir, can you read the passage? We've got to go home in a few minutes. Okay. Look at verse 20, Acts 3. Boy, Peter is winding up here, isn't he? And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached unto you, whom... The heaven could, should, must. The grave couldn't hold him. And you couldn't keep him out of heaven. Because he belongs there as God. How many like to have your, how, how many like to have your mind blown once in a while? Don't turn there because of time. John chapter 3 says, while he was on earth... He was also still in heaven. If you have the right translation. Because it's based on a set of manuscripts that's different. The correct ones. He said, well, how can that be? He's he's God everywhere at once. He was here in a localized expression like the light in the tabernacle. God was still everywhere at once, not just in the tabernacle. But he was God in the flesh. Walking around the earth. Yet as God, he's still in heaven. Read it when you get home. John chapter 3, say what verse? Read the whole, all 36 verses, they're good. Okay? Look at verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Go back to Acts chapter 1, and let's take a look at something here. Okay? I'm going to give you an Old Testament story, that's going to be the characterization. There's at least seven, I think I have eight. Now, I don't dream this stuff up, but there's books, thank God, that great men have written in the past. 
sermons you hear, once you start studying something, you know how it is, you start reading and you think, wow, we are, we are so privileged. We got 2,000 years of people studying the Bible with New Testament light on the Old Testament. This dear brother was a blessing in Sunday school class. Are, are, you, a, are you a preacher? Yeah, I could. Yeah, definitely, because he's pulling this stuff out. I said, that guy's a preacher. We got we got these men who have studied before us. You still a preacher, brother? That guy's still a preacher. Amen. We got all this stuff, and I, I read this stuff. These fathers of the faith under, and we here we are. We got so much information. We're living in the end times. Daniel said we will understand prophecy better the closer we get. Look where we are today. The restitution of all things is coming around pretty soon. Look at this passage, Acts chapter one. Look at verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart, Acts 1-4, from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, promise of the Old Testament, promised during the days of the Gospels, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. Notice it doesn't say because of. It was the indwelling that gave them power. The baptism came first in Acts 2, in the first couple of verses there. Then they were indwelled. People read that because of. No, sequential. The baptized is an outward sign to Israel. Joel chapter 2, verse 20 through 32, which hasn't been fulfilled yet, but it could have been. But Israel rejected him. It's going to happen in the tribulation. And then it says... The Holy Spirit was in, came into them. Christ baptized them in the Spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit baptized in Christ. It was Christ in the baptizing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts 1. It's not for you to know the time receive what the Father put in His own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So he, there's an out, the room's filled, they're surrounded, they're immersed, and then He comes in them. They're, he's already in them, but then He empowers. He, he came in them the night of the resurrection. But now they are not just indwelled, now they are filled you get the New Testament come, the Holy Spirit kicking in here. Why? Because Christ has ascended. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, I know I'm going real fast there, but that clock is rude. <laughs> I, I really like that. I'm going to use, can I use that? Can I talk about how impolite the clock is? <laughs> uh, that, was, that was worth the whole trip over here, besides the music and the fellowship, Okay. Went real fast there. But this ascension is so key. And once you, once you see it, I know you've seen it before, I know you've heard it. But once you focus on it and, and kind of go through what there is to go through, it's amazing how it jumps off the page. And look what it says here. I did that to slow down, made myself slow down. And what I wanted to say was this. This is a missions-minded church. You are doing verse 8. Your pastor and your previous pastors, and you have a heart for missions. We're not robots. God didn't just give us, okay, no, okay. God said, we have a passion for this. Don't you enjoy when these missionaries come in? Isn't it neat to look on that board and know your pastor is coming back from mission field? This church is literally around the world. Jesus said, greater things you're going to do than I did. He meant in scope and a few other things. We're not raising people from the dead. We're not calming the storms and the sea. But he was basically confined to the Holy Land. A little bit among the Gentiles up north there, the Catholics, etc. But listen, you are reaching the world right now. You're doing it by the ascended Christ setting down the Holy Spirit and your hearts have been moved and touched. Amen. You're good people. 
But God raised up a church, get people saved, get them baptized, disciple them, bring them into the church, or start churches with them. And you're doing that around the world. You, now you know why you're so tired. <laughs> Amen? While you're asleep and you're still working. The more missionaries you take up, if you support the seminary, you're going to really get tired. Because those students are already doing things. They're graduating. Anyway, but... And, they, and when, when he had spoken these things while they beheld, I love the word behold. You look at it and just hold it with your eyes. You don't glance. While they behold. All of a sudden, this is the actual ascension. There's three aspects to it, but this is the ultimate one. Remember he has said it took the blood to heaven and came down. Well, this is the third one right here. This is the one where he goes, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, comma, put that comma in the right place, sat down. The Old Testament priests never sat down. There was no chair for them in the tabernacle or temple because their work was never done. Jesus, this time, he goes to heaven and as a God-man, one of us, sat down at the right hand of the Father. As God, he belongs there. As a son of man, he's been exalted there. I'm going to jump ahead to this afternoon's message. This afternoon's message, a little clip. We are seated together in heavenly places yes. in Christ Jesus. Yes. Amen. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, it's as though I was. When Jesus walked the streets for 33 and a half years and never sinned, it's as though I did. When they nailed Christ to the cross, it was as though I was there. When they put him in the tomb, that was my tomb. Amen. He died for me. Joseph of Arimathea literally put Jesus in his own tomb. That's what you did when you got saved. That's why we baptized you, to make sure you got the picture. When you got saved, you say, he died for me. Remember the thief on the cross said, we're getting what we deserve, but this man's done nothing amiss. Lord, remember me without coming to thy kingdom. You said that. You trust Christ your Savior. We, we baptized you so you'd start living as though you're saved. Live it out. Live as though you died and were buried and rose from the dead. And when Christ rose from the dead, it's as though I rose from the dead. He did it. All for me, each drop of blood was shed for me. You ever heard that one? You ever heard that one? You'll come out of your skin on that one, buddy. You'll, you'll jump out of your suit. But anyway, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, I'll tell you a story this afternoon. My son and I lost one of those helicopters, those gas-powered helicopters. My wife will be here. She'll tell you I'm not exaggerating, Okay. Like steadfastly toward him as you went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing? And the angel said, Why are you stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up for you shall so come into like manner as you see him go. There was the ascension. Go to Genesis 45 as I wrap this up. Genesis 45. Now, I've given you the concept. I'm going to give you, I've jumped ahead to a little bit of the concrete. You just saw the concrete. Let's come back and catch the characterization just for a minute. How many have ever heard of an Old Testament character named Joseph? How many like the story of Joseph? How many are alive? Okay. How many like the story of Joseph? How many glad there's a clock on the wall? Okay, two of you. Okay, all right. That's not bad. Two out of hundred. Two hundred, whatever. All right. All right. Look at uh, Genesis 45. I plan to spend quite a bit of time here, but I, I didn't. But I want to get it to you because I want to give you another one this afternoon. You know the story of Joseph, sold into slavery at 17. After 13 years of who knows what's going on, he had only two things to hold on to. 
those two dreams. The Psalms, in the Psalms, it says the word of the Lord tried him until. All they have is the two dreams, Abraham and covenant, etc. It's two dreams. He trusted, he held on to God. He said, sooner or later, I'm going to be exalted. My brothers are going to bow down to me. I had that dream. 13 years of toughening him up, seasoning him. Why did Saul chase David around? To season David up. You can't be used of God in the ministry and be a novice. At 30 years of age, you know, he tried to help God out. It didn't work. He told that butler and the baker, I mean, what do you and I do? I tell these preachers, guys, don't pull strings. You're on staff at a church. They bring a new staff member and you get mad. You've been there five years. You work for God. Don't blame the preacher. Let God do what he's going to do. Amen. I mean, the devil set up so many traps for you. All of a sudden, you know how God works. Joseph, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. <laughs> the butler remembers. They go get Joseph. He dramatic story. He comes and he tells him what the dream means. Hey, there's going to be seven years of plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine. You need to start stocking up grain, get ready for that famine. You're going to have disaster. Pharaoh said, wow, this guy knows dreams. This guy's interpreted dreams before. And God's working, as we said in Sunday school. God's doing this. We're the glove, God's the hand. And he tells him this, and Pharaoh says, Wow. You know what Pharaoh said? We're going to call you a new name, Zathnath Paeonia. Yeah. Talks about somebody who can interpret dreams, Zathnath Paeonia. And he becomes the right hand man of Pharaoh. The only time, brother, you'll ever see Pharaoh in Egypt in a positive light. He's at the right hand of Pharaoh. He's been in the pit, hasn't he? Not been in the pit. His brothers threw him in the pit. Joseph's a wonderful characterization of Christ. He's betrayed by his own brethren. I mean, it's amazing. He's exalted, and Pharaoh makes him a right-hand man. 39 years of age, 22 years ago, his brothers betrayed him, and they show up. You know, he goes back and forth, back and forth. After 22 years, a couple of some months, and they're going back and forth. Of course, they're creeping out. They're going, there's something about this guy. I don't know what it is, but... And when he laid them all out in order and set them up and, and, and knew this and knew that, oh, if you go back and read the drama, it's amazing. Finally, Joseph can't take it anymore. He says, Hi, 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 Joseph. They know what to do. They're, they're kind of relieved because they, well, we're not murderers. Wait till dad hears this. Okay, I mean, on and on it goes, and finally he hugs them. I mean, what a reconciliation. Well, what a day it's going to be when Israel's reconciled with the greater Joseph. Uh, What a book. What a God. He's in the right hand, and what he does, look down here real quick. I've got to shut this down. I've already gone over. Look at what it says here. Uh, They're down, they go and get him. He says, look at verse 9. If you go back when you get home, read the first several verses here. He says, verse 9, Pharaoh tells him, go get, your, go get your, uh, your family, bring them here. And he says, you take food, you take all these wonderful things, and take my wagons. So you know the story. You come down here, look at verse 25. And they went out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father. And let me just say this. The details in here are unbelievable. I could have just preached on this chapter today and brought out the analogies. It's, it's startling. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, Joseph is yet alive. Joseph is yet alive. Now hearing aids in those days weren't quite what they are today. He took a ram's horn and put it up there. And, huh? Joseph is yet alive. Oh, don't, don't, don't. 
Don't do that to me. Look what it says here. And told him, saying, Joseph's yet alive. He's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart faded, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words that Joseph, he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons. I'm looking at wagons right now. This church is a bunch of wagons. I'm looking at lives that are full of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm telling you, a greater power, a greater source out of ourselves in a time. Is our nation in a spiritual famine? Why are you all doing so well? You're saved. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're in a New Testament church, amen? amen. And the wagons are loaded down. We saw this on the day of Pentecost. Boy, it was obvious that Jesus had ascended because the wagons were there. I mean, the speaking in tongues and the fire, I mean, everything. And the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, his father, revived. When he saw, he couldn't believe those boys. But when he saw the wagons, by many infallible proofs. I'm here to tell you today, there are all kinds of proofs that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Amen. The concept, the life, death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Christ on our behalf. You know why you go to heaven when you die? You're already there. Yeah. You're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at that this afternoon. Set your effects on things above. What is that talking about? We're an ascended people. It's just as though I live without sin. It's as though I died on the cross for my sins. It's as though I was buried, as though I rose from the dead. That's why we baptize you to give you the picture of the death, but resurrection of Christ. Because it's as though that's what happened to you. But we're not done. He brought us out of Egypt that he might bring us into a land that flows with milk and honey, water. Wells you didn't dig for fruit. Folks, we haven't hardly gotten started. We're going to go see our greater Joseph someday. And he's going to nourish us for all of eternity. Amen. Do you get the picture? I didn't do it justice. Now let me just close with this. I know it's a lot of information. Okay. I know it is. This is worthy of a long Bible conference. There's just so much here. We're going to peek at another another afternoon. We're going to bring the concrete in stronger. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm not talking about a, a great idea. The God we sinned against fixed it. No one else is qualified. I can't convince you, but the Holy Spirit is saying to you, Get this settled. If you've not been rescued from the wrath of God for your sins, get rescued, get delivered, get saved from it. Amen? That's why Christ died. He paid for our sins. All the turmoil in our world is because of sin. And folks, boast not thyself of tomorrow. If you've heard enough that you'd like to get saved or you would like to know more about salvation, you'd like to get it settled. Maybe you have fears and doubts. Let's get it settled. I'm going to stop in just a moment. I'm going to turn this service over. And if you need to come forward, come forward. Get it settled. If you are saved, may you be on a whole new level of appreciation. And I hope you'll come back this afternoon and let me get into a little bit more of the substance. I just wanted to make this characterization real. Let's all stand as Brother Markle's come. Well, heads bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around. Let me ask you this. If something were to happen right now, and you were to die today, do you know for sure 
you'd go to heaven. You say, Brother Marco, I know for sure I am on my way to heaven, and I'd like to raise my hand as a testimony that I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. Will you slip your hand up, pull it up nice and high, just for a moment, and then slip it down. How many say, thank you, you may put your hands down. How many say, Brother Marco, if I die right now, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. I know I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. Brother Marco, would you pray for me that I would not go to hell, that I would go to heaven? Brother Marco, would you pray for me? No one's looking around, just me. If you slip your hand up, I want to pray for you and let you know that I will pray that you would go to heaven when you die. All right. How many say this morning, if the Lord was to come back right now, I'm not sure I'd get the rewards that I would love to have. I've not been walking with him like I should. I've not been spending time with him like I should. Reading my Bible, praying, seeking his face. And I need God's power in my life. As we heard so many different ways that God's power is here for us. You say, Brother Marco, pray for me. I need to get closer to God as a result of what I heard today because we learned a lot about how we can get closer to the Lord. So, Brother Marco, pray for me. If you have that in your heart and in your life, would you slip your hand up? Hold it nice and high. Wave it up here so I can see just for a second. And then slip it down. Thank you, me. Put your hands down. I don't know what your needs may be, but I know this. God has a multitude of things for you and I. Look at all the things that we just heard about out of just a few scriptures this morning of all the things God has done for us and wants to give you and I. As we give the invitation, I'm going to pray in just a moment. If God has spoken to your heart, then you come forward as I, after I pray. Father, thank you for those that raised their hand today. If there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, I ask that today would be the day that they'd receive you as their Savior. Father, I ask to be with those of us who aren't as close to you as we ought to be. Maybe we need to read our Bible more or pray more or walk with you more. Be more faithful to the things you've called us to do. Lord, I ask that you'd work in our hearts and our lives and do that with us. And then, Lord, I ask that you'd meet every need that every person has here today. As you've spoken to their hearts through your word as it was preached, may we respond to you by coming to this old-fashioned altar and letting you know that we're willing to do whatever you put on our heart. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays, Brother Yule sings, God spoke to your heart. You come right now.